Hey there, Full Disc listeners. We've got something special for you today. In the current global pandemic world we're living in, we at Full Disc started feeling the huge void being left by the extreme lack of aviating going on. Our good friends at Mudspike Aviation felt the same. We both agreed that something needed to be done. Since we couldn't get out and watch our friends fly, we figured what better way to keep in touch than inviting them into our virtual flight line and having a simple conversation about all things aviation. For seven straight hours, we had live conversations with military pilots, airshow pilots, warbird owners and operators, social media personalities, and photographers. The audio was recorded live, and while there were definitely some technical issues that popped up, we feel that the quality of the conversation greatly outweighs the quality of the audio. Without further ado, Full Disc Aviation and Mudspike Aviation present the following for your listening pleasure. Full Disc Aviation and Mudspike Aviation presents an aviation conversation. Hey everyone, this is Nick Moore from Full Disc Aviation. Welcome to the first ever and hopefully the last virtual air show hosted by Full Disc and our good friends at Mudspike Aviation. We hope that everyone is doing their part to stay safe and really hope that this time spent today might bring a little bit of extra joy in these uncertain times. If you're joining us here today, I'm going to just assume that you love aviation and air shows. You're in luck because we're going to be talking quite a lot about that. During the next 30 minutes or so, please feel free to hit us up with some questions for our guest. We'll do our best to get anything answered that pops up. I'm joined today by one of my good friends from Southern California, Mr. Chris Loaf. How are you doing, sir? Not doing bad. Just, uh, you know, it's a little earlier here on the West Coast. But other than that, just uh, about to enjoy a a day full of some great interviews uh, and discussions with some of the people that we love to see. Well, I guarantee no one's tuning in to hear us yammer on, so let's get rolling. Our guest really doesn't need much introduction. He's one of the premier warbird pilots in the country, arena racer, and an instructor for those who wish to learn the art of flying precious warbirds. Without further ado, the president and chief pilot of Warbird Adventures, Mr. Tom Richard. Tom, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here in the virtual flight line. How are you doing today? Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I appreciate it. Doing great. How are you guys? We're, uh, we're hanging in there. Not doing too bad. Uh, just uh, ready for a day full of discussion with some of the people that we love to see fly. Good deal. Same here. So uh, you want to just take a couple moments and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, well, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, in a nutshell, I like to fly airplanes. I like to share how to fly airplanes. And that's what I've made my career out of now for coming on 30 years or so. Um, i specializing in warbirds for the last quarter century. And uh been uh, working my way up from small general aviation tail draggers into the fighters and bombers and jets and helicopters and whatever i can get my hands on i'm a, um you know aviation is kind of a funny thing people say it's a disease well i disagree because that makes it sound like there could be a cure <laughs> and uh, obviously i haven't found that one i think we're all uh i think we've all got the same uh same disease or whatever it is so mm-hmm. <laughs> so exactly. You mentioned you've been in this for a for a long time. I just let's go back to the beginning. When when did the love? When did the when did the disease start? I think I was probably six or seven. Uh, well, seven years old when I read an article about the Reno air races, and uh, I was probably mostly looking at the pictures, frankly. Um, uh, so um, about the nineteen seventy nine Reno air races, specifically the Red Baron and what happened that year, and 
I thought that was uh, without a doubt the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I had no idea that that even existed or 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 you know was still going on uh, even this back then. And I decided right then and there that that's what I'm going to do when I'm grow up. And people laughed at me. Where uh, where'd you grow up at? Sweden, Northern Europe. Okay. Um, so I was there till I was seventeen. And uh, then I decided to emigrate by myself to uh, the U.S. because this is the land of aviation. Wow, that's quite so thought, the uh, yeah, that's quite the deep dive. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> well, I mean, you only live once; you either got to do it or not, right? Yeah, absolutely. Very true. That's the one thing I can, and I, I think a lot of people can probably say when they, whenever they start flying, is I wish I would have started sooner. I know that's where I'm at. I mean, you, like you started when you were young and your brain was malleable and i started considerably later than that and there's probably a big difference there so well you know that that was probably one of my observations probably the the one of the most important things i learned in life young was that i looked at people that were successful and i looked at people that were not successful and it was it was a distinct difference in that the people that started early did the best so whatever it was they decided to do the earlier they got to start, the better off they were. And that, that's something I figured out right away. So I just aimed for what I wanted to do. And, uh, and I, fortunately, I got lucky and hit my target. But it, uh, it really makes a huge difference, pays great dividends down the road. So uh, were you in Sweden when you first started doing your, uh, your flight training? I did. Um, I started in gliders because powered flight was far too expensive. Uh, my parents, uh, uh, were able to uh, come up with enough uh, cash to let me learn to fly gliders. So I soloed <clears throat> when I was 16 after 20 flights and three hours and 20 minutes. Um, and uh, I got my glider rating and then uh, moved on to the U.S. for powered flight and everything else. How was, the, uh, uh, how was the glider flying in Sweden? Well, it's where I live, just 30 miles southwest of Stockholm, is obviously flat country. So it was all thermals. There was no uh, no uh, mountain flying at all. Um, so that's that's where I grew up um, in the the last the last few summers before I uh, before I left the, for the states and uh, spent my time at the glider port. I was all uh, obviously that was a club and was all volunteer mm -hmm. situations. It was relatively inexpensive. We all stayed on the airport and had a great time. We all learned all kinds of things uh, that, as you should as a, a teenager growing up, I suppose. Um, <laughs> some which we probably shouldn't share. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and um, uh, it was it was a great time. The um, uh, you know, uh, growing up in in, uh, in in Sweden is perhaps a little limiting when it comes to aviation. But uh, the glider port was a fantastic place. It's still in existence and operation today. I still keep in touch with them back there. It's uh, it still looks the same. It's just a wonderful little spot. Was that all auto toes or aircraft toes or all, all aircraft the above? toes? All aircraft toes. It was a um, basically it's a grass field from World War II that was um, built by the military. Um, I guess the runways are about six hundred meters or so, so not not real long, but uh, you could technically land in any direction because it's basically a circular field. So that was kind of neat. Hmm. That is. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah. Good fun. I, I yeah. can't say I kept up much gliding since I've done 
it a few times since I came to the U.S., but obviously it's hard to make sure. a living in that industry. So I moved on to things with propellers. Yeah. So let's, let's get into that. When, uh, when did that start? You said that was over here in the States. Yeah, I, uh, I moved to California. Um, I learned to fly uh, powered, powered aircraft at a little flying club called Flying Tail Draggers. Um, that was organized by a lady named Cecilia Aragon out in California. And um, Richard Descrazzi was my flight instructor. Learned to fly in Cetabria. Um, I remember I had to have 10 hours, I believe it was, before I could solo. And uh, just worked my way up, washing airplanes, working on airplanes. Um, Cetabria, decathlon, pits, cub, that kind of stuff. I think I had well over a hundred hours before I got my first flight in a nose gear airplane. Hmm. What was your first powered solo? Uh, it was in a Citaria 70 CA 2683 Zulu. Remember it to this day. <laughs> I had a, uh, I had a passenger with me, uh, unbeknownst to me on my first solo. It was a wasp. <laughs> he, des- he decided to orbit my head on downwind and ended up, uh, Keeping it together, landing, letting him out, and then did the second two landings by myself. Everybody knows distractions on final are great, right? Absolutely. Especially, uh, I, I stepped in a wasp nest one time, and I got stung all over uh, as a little kid. So apparently I'm quite sensitive to them. I, one, one stung my eyelid, and I, my eye swelled shut, etc. And, and so I, I have a thing for wasps. I don't like them, but uh, we got along okay. I'm glad he let you land. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and uh, and uh, then I, um, at the same time, I was pursuing my A&P at school. Um, and um, obviously, to finance that, I got some student loans. I was supposed to pay for uh, room and board by means of student loans, but I decided to take flight lessons instead on the side. So uh, I was homeless. I lived in my car in the back of a hangar on top of the bathroom just taking care of airplanes and spent every cent I made on flight training. Huh. Little different story from most kids going to flight school today, I guess. Yeah, I'd say so. But, uh, I mean, that definitely wanted it more more, and, uh, look at where you are now. I guess you could say that it all paid off. Yeah. I would like to say so. Yeah. It's like a test. It's a testament to, you know, you, you're really passionate about something, put in the work. It's gonna, yeah. it's gonna pan out. F- fanatic might be a good term. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> so, what, what gave you the warbird bug? Uh, I always wanted to do that. I mean, my goal was to uh, race on limiteds. That's really what I wanted to do. And uh, everything I did in aviation was uh, every step I could take in that direction, whatever it was. That's what I did. Um, so when I was twenty-three. I got my first job teaching in T6s. And I was a barnstorming outfit traveling around the country, which was great. So I, I uh, picked up what I had in California, moved to Florida, and uh, worked for this outfit for a year and a half, bounced all over the country, uh, which was great fun, especially pre-GPS in the uh, <laughs> mid-90s. Um, rolling into town to offer flights and... Um, getting lost above overcast and trying to find your way back by means of a sectional chart. It was great skills to learn. Good fun. Huh. Did you have any T6 time prior to that? No. I had a fair bit of tailwheel time because that, that was my background. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that's where that came from. And uh, obviously got the check out on, on the job. Huh. What was your experience like your first solo of the T6? That was pretty cool. Um, I felt like I had done something when I got into the T6. Um, I'd accomplished something in my aviation career. The rest was, you know, just boxes I had to check to go get ratings and, and licenses, etc. I, I felt that when I finally got to fly the T6, that, that really was an accomplishment. And I was quite pleased with that. And I felt the aircraft was a bit of a time machine. You know, you, you climb into one of these old warbirds and you go fly above the clouds, look at the wingtip. There's zero ways to tell that it's, you know, 2000, whatever, or 1942. So I thought that was a pretty cool experience. Yeah, definitely. Do you feel like, I mean, at, you know, as it was during the war where that was the primary or not the primary, but the advanced trainer for, for going on to fighters, um, is that curriculum still just as applicable today as it was then? Perhaps even more so because of the, um, the lack of <clears throat> the skills required to fly that type of aircraft and the lack of airplanes. I mean, back then there were lots of tail draggers and a lot of, a lot of, I should say, poorly designed airplanes were difficult to fly and required serious skill. Today, airplanes are simpler, easier, safer. Um, so the T6 is the remnants of the area era where it really requires a good bit of skill to fly an airplane right. And, um, I tell everybody all the time that out of all the single engine warbirds, there's no question in my mind that T6 is by far the most difficult hurdle. Uh, once you have the T6, I don't want to say mastered because really nobody ever masters that airplane. Um, once you have it figured out, transitioning to the fighters is easy. That's a very straightforward step. Um, the T6 is the unforgiving airplane um, in the in the training arena and uh, it'll you know you do something wrong in a t6 it's going to slap you right across the face whereas most aircraft are forgiving it is not um so really makes you fly every other airplane that you operate better after having flown the t6 so it's, it really is a great step up in training and and pilot skill that uh, that really no other aircraft provides there's a reason they call that thing the pilot maker you know, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, John Culver flies War Dog out here on the West Coast, and that's one of the things he's always said to everyone. This thing is the most unforgiving. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you step up into, you know, once you pass the T6, you're stepping into P40s, P51s, you know, those are so much easier to fly. Absolutely. I, I, I agree completely. Yes. The, uh, the, tri the tricky part about fighters is two things. One is the speed, which, is ca which can be unforgiving, but that's like anything else. I mean, if you're used to a King Air or anything above that, uh, you know, speed is just a number on a dial, really. The other one is the systems. And as long as you understand the aircraft inside and out, uh, because getting into a Warbird is, is a little strange. You get in, there's no standardization, right? So you get into an airplane, and look around everything is a different position systems work differently levers are different numbers are different so having that knowledge before you climb into them is, is the hurdle when it comes to a fighter transition but the skills of flying the aircraft everything comes from the t6 and um, few aircraft um, that said i haven't flown a messerschmitt 109 i understand that can be a little bit tricky um or the the t6 is harder to handle for sure take off and landing than uh, than the fighters. There's no no question about that. Hmm. So 
I'll put you on the spot just a little bit. Uh, can you uh, can you give us a list of what warbirds you've uh, you've got time in? Well, I'm rated in the uh, the P51, the P40, the Corsair on the fighter side. I fly L39s and TS11s, you know, the jets. Uh, I'm a B17 captain. I've flown a few other things, flown TBM, flown a Spitfire, um, uh, B25s, B24. Um, that's pretty much it as far as warbirds are concerned. So I, I okay. stay busy with that. Yeah, it sounds like it. Sounds like quite the list, yeah. Yeah. Is there uh is there anything that's at the top of your uh your list that you've uh, yet to be rated in? Well, you know, a few years ago I checked out in the Corsair and I I I had said for quite some time, probably 10 plus years that that'll be the last airplane on my bucket list that I absolutely have to fly. And I'll do I'll go through some great challenges in order to get into a Corsair. And I did. And I loved it. Great airplane. So technically, my bucket list is done. I finished everything that I really, really wanted to fly. And uh, everything else is gravy. And of course, I'd love to fly everything. But that was that was my goal. So I've accomplished what I wanted in that regard. Now, that said, it's a few years later now. I'd really like to get into the seat, seat of a P-38 one day. Um, but that's probably one of those things that's uh, virtually unobtainium. Hmm. When uh, when did air shows start to uh, become part of this for you? Uh, I, I, well, I, on and off. I didn't perform in the T six because I don't think it's a very good uh, air show airplane. Uh, the, and let me say that with a caveat: the the T six is a beautiful air show airplane. Um, the aerosol team, for example, does a fantastic job. And as far as I'm concerned, the best formation aerobatic team of the country um and uh, they put on a, a great show a single ship t6 uh one thing it doesn't pay very well on the air show circuits it's a difficult thing to field and the other problem is it's an extremely unforgiving airplane and being a the entry level warbird people tend to want to get into doing air shows and things of that sort and the opportunity to fly a t6 is there I don't like that combination of things because it sets you up for failure. The T6 being so unforgiving in the realm of low-level aerobatics, I don't recommend it myself unless you're a very experienced airship pilot already. So I made a decision early on that, you know, I teach in T6s. I want to lead by good example. So I am not going to do air shows in the T6. So I decided that early on just to tell my students that I don't think it's a good idea because I deal with primary checkouts people that initially get into the airplane and and uh, want to learn to fly it or learn to fly it a little bit better not the super experienced air show uh, aerobatic pilots out there that can absolutely put a t6 through the, through the ringer uh, at an air show uh, so i just wanted to lead by example when it came to my students i chose early on not to do that so i didn't get into air shows or performing in air shows until i started flying fighters which was later so i, I guess i've been doing air shows the last eight or ten years i guess yeah okay in, in fighters Do you, uh, I'm just kind of curious, do you have a, a favorite air show or fly-in that you've been to? Uh, yeah, I, I, I got to say that my, my favorite air show is Geneseo. Greatest show on turf. Oh, a turf field. Wow. That's, that's something that I have yet to experience myself. That's got to be uh, a little bit different than, than what most people are used to flying on, and I guess mm -hmm. also just being at. Um, oh, yeah. Well, gr grass makes anybody look good, right? 
that's uh, that's part of it. But just the whole setting, it's a it's a, it's a little bit of full circle for me, because when I came, so back in the '90s when we were barnstorming around the country, uh, we spent a good time in Geneseo with the T6s, and um, at that time there were um, numerous airplanes there, including Fuddy Duddy, the B17, and there was a P40 and Spitfire Project and various other things going on. The, the, it's a fairly active museum at that time. And uh, it, the uh, having the P40 there, I thought that, that was something pretty special and uh, always thought that that'd be really neat to come back to Geneseo and fly a P40. And here we are 25 years later, and that's exactly what I'm doing. So it's full circle for me, and it was a really, really neat experience to come it's a it's a great organization up there the national warplane museum that's run by austin wadsworth and his crew um very gracious hosts every year it's just the most stunning place in the northeast flying over uh, letchworth state park you know the um that's called the grand canyon of the east if you're not familiar over there by the finger lakes uh, just um just beautiful very classic small town and in, in, uh, in, in, uh western new york <clears throat> so they put on an awesome warbird show it's all warbirds nothing else uh it's on that nearly five thousand foot long grass strip uh, and uh it, it, it's it's a really special experience i really enjoy it that's great you, you mentioned the p40 um we'll we'll talk specifically about warbird adventures here in just a moment but sure. i just want to know a little bit more about uh about your beloved american dream when uh when that come into play for you well i've been I've been wanting to get a fighter actively for 20 years and um, <clears throat> knowing that there were um, a, a fair amount of P-51 operators out there, I figured that a P-40 might be the appropriate aircraft. Uh, so I was always on the lookout for one and knowing full well, I couldn't afford one, but you know, you just keep it in the back of your head and look for opportunities. Uh, in um, 2014, I went to Australia to look at some, project airplanes to see if i could acquire a project and maybe finish it build it myself with my crew here in, here in florida and after looking at a bunch of them because it was for, for a few of them over there that are underway i realized that uh, there's no way i was going to be able to afford having an airplane of that caliber and work on it for several years before it's online and creates even a dollar of revenue so I, I realized that the only way to do this is to try to figure out how to finance it and have a turnkey airplane and fly it right away. The problem with that, of course, is that there aren't hardly any two-seat P-40s out there. It's a really rare aircraft. So um, it was a little disappointing. And uh, so I went home and, and realized that, you know, this may not be possible. I did see one two-seat aircraft that had just sold to the United States in Australia. It was sitting on its belly at one of the operators down there. They had just taken it apart, taken the wing off, the, uh, the fuselage off the wing, I should say, and were ready to stick it in a container. It, uh, so it just sold, so I figured that was an opportunity lost. Not that I could afford to buy the thing anyway, but it was, it was uh, one of those things I wanted to keep uh, track of, but I lost track of the aircraft because Obviously, you know, Warbird transactions are always hush-hush, and, and nobody told me where the airplane was going, so I lost track of it. Um, and about a year later, maybe a little less than a year later, uh, I was sitting around talking with one of my T6 drivers that I, I um, contract for my flight school here. 
and we were yeah, just mentioned in passing that you know love to put a p40 online wouldn't that be great and he said oh i know one i said really yeah there's um p40 showed up in colorado i just happened to walk by the hangar and see these guys putting one together coming out of a container so i helped them out because they they looked like they needed some help with the forklift or whatever else and so um he befriended them and assisted them for a few days got the airplane put together and it uh, turned out that uh was this uh warbird or not Warbird collector, but a collector of fine things uh, who always wanted a P-40 that bought the airplane in Colorado. Um, he'd never had the intent of flying the airplane himself. He was going to hire somebody to fly the airplane for him. So uh, I ended up buying an airline ticket, flew to Colorado, walked in the hangar, introduced myself. And um, I um, became friends with the uh, mechanic and the owner and over the next four years, I ended up helping them with various maintenance and flying the airplane a little bit. Um, and I think they operated the airplane for 12 hours over four years. It was very little. Wasn't a lot going on with it. Uh, and um, I guess I finally wore him down. And, <laughs> and finally, finally uh, let me uh, make a deal on the airplane because I really wanted it. Um, which was a shocker because then I realized... What am I going to do now? Because there's no way I'm going to be able to pay for this thing. So it took me uh, three. We had a three-month deal. Ended up getting a, another month extension until I could get all my ducks in a row to acquire the aircraft. <clears throat> so I took possession in the spring of 18. Uh, flew it to a friend's hangar in Georgia. And we kept it hidden uh, from the public because I didn't want to unveil it until it was ready to go. We had a few things we needed to do on the airplane maintenance-wise. and had to get it uh, certified properly and uh, we also did the modification on the aircraft um, or had done the modification of uh, changing the propeller from an electric Curtis electric propeller to a Hamilton standard hydromatic propeller and that required a fairly complicated approval process through the FAA <clears throat> and uh, after working with them for six months it finally came through um, so uh, the day after uh, we got the certification done I flew it down to uh, Kissimmee on August uh, 22nd, I think it was, and unveiled it to the world. I got the, well, Chris and I both actually got to see you fly at Oshkosh last year and in the rain. And oh, yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful machine you have there. Thank you. We try. It's, uh, she's, she's worth keeping up, that's for sure. Um, so, I, you know, she's, uh, she's probably not a... Uh, uh, showpiece but she's a very nice airplane for a working girl as i put yeah how many two seat p40s are there as far as i know there are six okay all together um there's uh there's one in australia there's one in canada um the collings foundation have an operate one um kermit weeks owns one and then um chris out in california has one also um so i think that's six altogether. Okay. There are a couple more two-seat projects underway. It'll be a little while yet before any of those fly, but there will be more in the future. There are several dozen uh, P-40 restorations underway, uh, which is pretty exciting. And so that'll be a good addition to the Warbird fleet across the world, in addition to the 25 or so that we have flying. Hmm. I've got one specific P-40 question that may or may not uh, be of any value, but I've always noticed <laughs> that the the gear comes up and comes down kind of one than the other. Is that, is that true? Yeah. So the way that system works, uh, 
the the P forty was a very early retractable gear airplane, and uh, they were just trying to figure out how to do this because I mean they had just recently come out with monoplane. It wasn't uh, you know that many years before World War II that pretty much everything was a biplane, right? So they built very very heavy, structurally heavy wings at that time. And there was, they hadn't quite figured out how to put a big old hole in the bottom of the wing for a landing gear. So on the P-36, what they did was they bolted the gear on the outside of the wing. And uh, they decided to retract it aft in order to make it short and sturdy. And they, they had enough room between a couple of the spars to fit the wheel. So the wheel stays inside the wing, but the landing gear itself, the strut, is still on the bottom side of the wing and so what they did they built a fairing and a set of gear doors around it so that's how come we have these two bulges on the p40 which is the same airframe essentially as the p36 so in order to accommodate that the landing gear rotates 90 degrees as it retracts just like a corsair it's the same thing um, so what happens is when you select landing gear up there are two independent actuators left and right of course and they're they're not tied together at all other than to get the pressure from the same system so if when one starts moving the wheel will present to the wind and it will have more drag on it than the gear that's still fully down so that landing gear is being helped by the wind and being pushed up into his wheel well nearly all the way before the other wheel starts moving. And it's kind of arbitrary which wheel goes first. But the one that goes first is going to finish first. Right. So if that makes sense. Yeah. My question related to that is, does does that give you a whole bunch of adverse yaw that you have to account for when, when one's down and the other's not? It's not that bad because the landing gear is very narrow. So it's very close to the CG, uh, which it rotates around. You can fit, but it's not, not okay. difficult to control. All right. I've just always been curious about that, so I'm glad to know. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. There you go. So, well, now that we've gone into all your experience flying warbirds, um, seems that you have a passion for passing on that knowledge to others. Can you go a little bit into Warbird Adventures and what that's all about? Absolutely. In uh, 1998, together with a uh, friend of mine, we uh, decided to max out all our credit cards and buy a T6. Because I knew that business already. Uh, we were both uh, flying skydivers at the time up in New York and here in Florida. Um, and we penciled out the idea for uh, a warbird business on a napkin, like so many others. Um, so we got a T6, and um, by a fluke, v- just visited down here in uh, Kissimmee. We were going to head, head on the road and go barnstorming. But uh, we ended up at uh, Tom Riley's Warbird Restoration Museum down here in Kissimmee uh, one week um, because we were down here for a meeting. And uh, he said that he had recently shut down his uh, Waco biplane operation. And he said he could, he could use a flying operation of some variety and invited us to give it a try. So we did for a few weekends and it got fairly busy. So we decided to stay. He uh, since shut down after the hurricane in 2004. Um, Friday the 13th, August 2004 is when the hurricane Charlie hit here in Florida and it uh, mangled the front half of his hangar. So he decided to. Uh, shut down and sell out after that and he moved to georgia away from the hurricanes i guess and um, we wanted to stay so we ended up building a hangar ourselves uh, in an empty lot here in down in Kissimmee and continue operations and uh we've had uh 
numerous T6s over the years. We have, still have two of them. Uh, we also do primary training if you want to learn to fly from scratch in a Cetabria. And, uh, of course, the fighter training in the P-40. In addition to that, since uh, uh, Tom Riley shut down, we opened up a, a new air museum. We call it Kissimmee Air Museum um, in our hangar, which is small. We have a, you know, about a dozen airplanes on display, various engines, guns, some memorabilia, some very fascinating uh, Pearl Harbor exhibits, etc. So it's a, it's a tiny little uh, tourist attraction. The purpose of that is... Uh, Obviously, to get people in the door, we could possibly excite to want to learn to fly and, and learn to fly T6s and even the P40. It's just to uh, cater to a uh, uh, already interested crowd. So that's the point of it. So we um, have an active uh, museum. We have an active restoration uh, operation at any given time. Lots of maintenance going on in the hangar our flying operations so there's there's a good bit going on here um Kissimmee is also known for other warbird operations it's a pretty active place it's handy being you know just eight miles from disney world so people show up take family to disney world and go here to fly with us yeah i think that's that's really cool that you know you're not you're not you're not a ride service you're you're teaching people how to fly and that's you know yes that's and that's a, that's a very a, yeah yeah go ahead yeah, that's a very important distinction. I've never been a fan of providing uh, a, a ride to a person because I think it's it's not half the service of what flight instruction can be or is. Um, putting somebody behind the controls, that's really where you can ignite that spark and get people excited to want to learn to fly. And I can't tell you how many, it, it sounds like an exaggeration, but it's probably in the thousands of the number of people that we have gotten started in aviation over the years. Um, we we hear all the time about people that tell us, oh, I got my first flight down there, and now I got my license, or now I'm an airline pilot, and you know all of those, uh, anything in between. It's pretty exciting to hear. Um, so right off the bat, no matter what your experience is, we'll put you right into the front seat of the T6 or front or back seat of the p40 depending on your experience um and let you go at it i'll we'll if you don't know how to fly we'll teach you how to fly on the way out and we'll teach you aerobatics on the very first flight we'll take it to whatever level you're comfortable with and uh you will have a tremendous experience much more so than let's say a straight and level sightseeing flight in the back seat of an airplane so i i think it, it makes a big big difference as far as recruitment for aviation on the whole and uh, I'd like to say we've been very successful with that. Well, that's fantastic. Um, we're pushing up on time here, and I wish we could go about another hour. But uh, I just really want to tell you, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fantastic. And uh, uh, please tell everyone where they can find you on social media and also how they can get hooked up with Warbird Adventures. Absolutely. Very simple. It's uh, warbirdadventures.com. It's, of course, our website. Uh, you can book a flight and. the uh, Get all our details. Um, the P40, uh, you can follow on, at, on Facebook at P40 Warhawk American Dream. We're also on Instagram, which is P40 American Dream. Um, so we're easy to get a hold of. We're a, well, we claim that we're a, a six-day-a-week operation. I think we're more like eight or nine. But um, <laughs> we try to close on Sundays. But during air show season, that obviously does not take place. But we uh, we tour the P40 in the summertime, so we obviously. Come see us at uh, anywhere on the East Coast where we perform. We'll be 
delighted to talk to you, tell you all about what, what we can do for you. And um, in the wintertime, we're always down here in Kissimmee. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. Hey, my pleasure, gentlemen. Yes, thank, thank you for joining us. It's been, uh, it's been a great uh, discussion. Yeah. Good deal. Good luck, good luck with the show and looking forward to hearing all of it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Now, if you have the itch to learn how to fly warbirds the right way, please give Tom a call. We're sure you won't be disappointed. And that's going to do it for this session of the Virtual Air Show. If you tuned in late or want to hear the interview again, please stay tuned to Full Disc Aviation and Mud Spike Aviation. We intend to provide all of today's content for future listening. Thank you for tuning in to this aviation conversation. We hope that our discussion of aviation brought a smile to your face. This was our first time hosting this event, and we look forward to doing it again in the future. We welcome any feedback to improve these future events. You can find Full Disc Aviation online at www.fulldiscaviation.com and Mudspike Aviation at www.mudspikeaviation.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>